The truth is that freedom has been one theme that's been rolling around inside of my heart, permeating my thoughts over the last several weeks, months. The, the second theme is almost the opposite of it. Something that has not been given me freedom. A theme of, of shame. And this is a particular passage that is ruminated in my heart for some time. I'd like to ask if you would please rise as we read from Isaiah 54, verses 4 and 5. And the text says, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You'll forget the shame of your youth. And remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Why? For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. And he is called the God of all the earth. The word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's really been a series of what would otherwise be unconnected events in which this theme has just kept popping up. In a conversation with a friend of mine um, about some things he'd been doing in, in his Sunday school class, he mentioned this book that he was reading by Kirk Thompson called The Soul of Shame. And just the ways in which he's been incorporating it into uh, the discussion in Sunday school. And then a few weeks later, I'm talking to another friend on campus. And, and we're talking about finding freedom and how it is that in, in church life and church culture so often. We talk about how God frees us from our sins. Amen. Amen. And we even talk about how God can free us from guilt. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we don't always talk about God setting us free from shame. And then just a few weeks later, I was walking and ran into a friend I hadn't seen in quite some time. And she said something that stuck, stood out to me, remarkably powerful, and I've just been thinking about it ever since. She said, for this season of Lent, she is giving up shame. And I have not been able to shake what she said. She probably doesn't realize the power of her words upon me. But you know, we, we are entering into the season of Lent. We have our Ash Wednesday coming up on Wednesday, uh, 6.30. I hope to see all of you here. And Ash Wednesday traditionally begins a series of 40 days that lead up to Easter. The time in which we remember the death and victorious resurrection of Jesus. Redeeming us. Buying us back from sin, guilt, and shame. And so the season of Lent is a season of, of self-reflection, a season of soul-searching, a, a season of repentance in many ways. But it's also a, freedom of, a season of seeking freedom. In Lent, it's, it's traditional for us to fast, to give something up for 40 days. Um, it's, it's, you know, traditional to find something inside of our lives that, that, that we go without for this season. 
You know, sometimes people will give up uh, coffee, sometimes people give up sugar or meat or something. Um, other times we give up things that just take up a lot of time in our lives. Uh, things that we didn't realize commanded so much of our time. You know, I have a lot of students who, who tell me that for Lent, they give up social media. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not that there's anything inherently bad with social media. Unless, of course, you've watched the Facebook hearings before Congress. Uh, but we're going to leave that alone for right now. It's not that there's anything inherently bad with it. It's just that you don't realize how much time you spend on it sometimes. You know, five minutes here, ten minutes there, and waiting for the doctor's, uh, at the doctor's office, or when, when you're sitting on your break at work, and you're having it, and you just flip through the, the media feeds of the Twitterverse, just to catch up on what all of your friends are saying. So I have many students who give up social media, and they, you know, they mention to me that they just didn't realize how much power it had over their time over their lives, over their daily routine, until they stepped away from it and gave it up. You see, my friends, the thing to understand about fasting, and particularly about fasting during the season of Lent, is that it's not just about depriving ourselves for the sake of deprivation. It is not just about depriving ourselves for the sake of making ourselves uncomfortable. Fasting is not just about giving something up as an outward sign of an inward devotion. Amen. Fasting is about finding freedom. Amen. Fasting is about finding freedom from some of the things that can, that can hold power over our lives and hold power over our lives for so long that we did not even realize that they were there. It is so ingrained in my routine that I do not realize how much time I spend doing this, how much money I devote to this. And you see, when I give something up, suddenly I find myself free when it comes to my time. Free for something else. You see, that's one of the things we have to keep in mind when we talk about this theme of freedom. Oftentimes, when we talk about freedom, we think about things that we were freed from. God freed me from my sins. Someone can say amen this morning, right? God freed me from an addiction. God freed me from guilt. God set me free. Oftentimes when we talk about freedom, we talk about what God sets us free from. But we also have to remember that there's another side to this coin. Not just what God sets us free from, but what God sets us free for. Right. Right, right, that's good. The book of Exodus, maybe one of the greatest stories of freedom. But you know, the book of Exodus is, is a, a bit of a mystery as to what, uh, what genre it is, what the purpose of this book is. Because you see, the first half of the book of Exodus is a story of God setting the children of Israel free from Pharaoh. But the second half of the book of Exodus yeah. is a list of laws, regulations, guidelines. And so there's this question, is the book of Exodus a story about freedom, or is it a book of law? And what oftentimes happens is we, uh, particularly in, in Christianity, we have a habit of reading the first half of the book without devoting much attention to the second half. We look at the story of freedom from, but we do not look at the laws that ensue. Right. You see, the reason why this matters 
There's, there's no rabbinic tradition, at least as it was taught to me many years ago, that you cannot look at the first half of the book without the second half. You cannot talk about what God set you free from without talking about what God set you free for. You see, the first half of the book of Exodus talks about God setting the children of Israel free from the power of Pharaoh. But the second half of the book of Exodus talks about God setting the children of Israel free so that they could walk in a way that reflects the values of the creator in this world. And that that is the value of the Torah, of the Torah legislations that are in the second half of the book. Now that we are set free from something, we are now free for something else. Right. That is to say, to structure our lives so as to reflect the values of our God inside yeah. of this world to those around us who are still seeking freedom. Amen. When we talk about freedom, it's not just about freedom from. It's freedom for. What did God set us free for? Yeah. You see, when my students tell me that they fast from social media, one of the things I've heard, multiple students tell me the same thing. It's not just they were freed from something that they didn't realize had power over their lives. It's that they were freed for something else. Right. Amen. Imagine all the time that we scroll through our Facebook feeds. You know, we wake up in the morning, we spend five minutes here. We, we're, we're on the bus, we, we spend ten minutes there. You know, we're moving throughout our daily lives and we have these little breaks. They sort of separate one segment of my life from another, and the transition point between the two is me surfing social media. Imagine if I take that out, and now the transition between the individual moments of my life is me seeking my God. <laughs> Giving something up. It's not just about being free from something, it's about being free for something. You know, when, when I don't realize how much time I spent watching TV. Because I get home at the end of a hard day and I'm tired. And I just want to unplug and disconnect from reality. Imagine if I sought my God when I got tired. When I needed refreshment. If I came before my God on my knees. It's not just about freedom for. It's free, or it's not just about freedom from. It's freedom for. You see, my friends, one of the things that, that this, these two themes of freedom and shame have been echoing inside of me, finding freedom from shame, but also finding freedom for something else in my life that God has for me. Yeah. See, in the Christian faith, we're good about talking about sin and Jesus freeing us from sin. And, and we're good about talking about guilt. Some of us who have sat through some uh, some more traditional revivals, the hellfire and brimstone type, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, maybe there were times when we were a little too good at talking about guilt. But we don't always talk as much about shame. And the interesting thing is that shame is the first emotion, the first feeling mentioned in Torah. It is. You read from the beginning, from Genesis 1, that's the first one you're going to encounter. And the problem is that it can be kind of difficult to define what we mean by shame in our culture. You know, and, and I want to take a moment to recognize that, 
there, there's a healthy sense of shame that we oftentimes carry with us. You know, shame can, can serve to dissuade us from some, uh, how should we say, ill-advised activities. Okay, that, that's not necessarily a problem. And at times we talk about certain uh, cultures as being based on an honor-shame type system. You know, that, that's, a very, that's not what I'm talking about here this morning. This morning, I'm talking about when the memories of the past cast a long shadow over our present and our future. I'm talking about when our low moments continue to haunt us and to bind us and restrict us. When they hang heavy upon our hearts like weights holding us down. Like chains, they keep us bound from walking in what God has for us. That's what I'm talking about this morning. In his book, The Soul of Shame, Kurt Thompson suggests that shame as we are speaking of it this morning is an inherently difficult thing to define. You see, the problem is that shame is rooted in a feeling that we often experience before we can describe what we feel, before we can put words to it. And that can be hard. Because you see, when we feel something but we don't have the words to describe it, to name it, to identify it, it can hold a certain power over us. And we don't fully see it, how central it has become. It's, it's like when, when we're in a dysfunctional relationship. Yes. Okay? Amen. 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 Okay? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And when we are in a dysfunctional relationship, Amen. everybody in our lives can see it but us. And it's not until we can name the problem. It is not until we can point to something and say, this behavioral pattern, this relationship pattern is not healthy. But once we name it, now we can see it everywhere. Right. Right. Shame works the same way. It is always in the shadows of our lives. And sometimes we don't entirely realize how much power it can hold over us. Until we can name it. You see, my friends, shame is not the same thing as guilt. You, you know, guilt is that feeling of sort of remorse or, or, or like regret we, we get as a result of, you know, our actions or maybe something we think. You know, we, we, we have an agency and then guilt ensues as a result of the way we use that agency. And usually it's because we see the implications of our agency for those around us. You know, I act in a way, and, and it hurts someone. Mm -hmm. And I feel regretful that I acted in that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I feel this, this, this feeling of guilt that follows my actions. Or, or I have these thoughts, and I realize those thoughts be very hurtful to people I care about. Mm -hmm. Guilt has this, this external awareness about the implications of our actions for others. It's an internal feeling that carries an external awareness. But you see, shame operates very differently. Shame is not so much about what I do. Shame is about who I am. Yeah. 
You see, there is a difference between saying, I screwed up, and believing that I am a screw up. There is a difference between saying, I did something bad, and saying, I am bad. Right, right. There's a difference behind saying that those words were not of value and believing that I am not of value. Guilt is about thoughts and actions, this external thing, what we do, what we believe, what we think, but shame, that's about who we are. And that's why it's so internal to us. That's why we internalize it and it works its way through so much of our lives without us even realizing it. You see, my friend, shame has a way of whispering into my ear, not about what I did, not about what I think, but about who I am. Shame shows up and tells me that I'm never going to be good enough. And then it points to all of these experiences in my life to justify that life. Look at your failure here. Look at your failure there. Look at this low moment in your life. You see, these all add up and they tell you something. Not about what you do. About who you are. Shame. It's about who I am. And you see, the thing I like about this book my friend recommended, The Soul of Shame, is that in, in the book the author says shame is not just a feeling, but shame actually tells us a story about who we are, about our value inside of this world. Shame takes those memories of the past and weaves them together into a story. A story that somehow manages to convince me of a lie. That that I'm just not good enough. That that I'm just not worthy enough. That I am just an embarrassment. Or just a disgrace. And one of the worst things is that when shame does that, it doesn't even have to point to things that I did. It can point to things that were done to me. Amen. Yes. And it will still tell me the lie that I'm not enough. Because let's be honest, we, we, we are in relationships with people and sometimes when someone treats us as if we don't have value, how long do we endure that before we start thinking, maybe I don't have as much value? When we're in a relationship and we're constantly trying to earn someone else's love and it seems like no matter how hard I perform, I can never seem to be worthy of love. How long do I endure that situation before I start thinking, maybe I'm not worth loving. Maybe I'm not worth protecting. Maybe I'm just not enough. And, and the scary thing is we, we do this to people all the time without even realizing it sometimes. I mean, think about it. We, we're, we're in a social media generation. We talk about how young people today are the, the selfie generation. Yes. And, and how so much of my life I spend flipping through the, the media feeds and, and I see people smiling all the time. Oh, they have such happy lives. I see the snapshots, right? And oh, their smiles are always so pretty. Okay, granted, it took a ridiculous amount of digital technology and Instagram filters to make them look that way. But I don't always see that. 
Yes. I see the smiles and the happiness and the prettiness and the glamour. Yes. And then I sit in my life. And the thing is, I know the mess in my life. And I don't smile like that. And I'm not just talking about not being pretty like that either. I mean, I walk through my day, and I'm not always smiling with all these pictures that I see. And then shame works its way in and says, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why you don't smile all the time like what you see. Never mind the fact that what you see is artificial. I'll tell you a story about why you're not glamorous enough. Why you're not pretty enough. Why you're not enough. And Shane tells me this story. Day in and day out. People don't mean to put that upon me. It just happens in our culture when I turn on the TV and... And I see people who, who are, are airbrushed or spent six hours getting makeup put on there. And I think, I'm just not enough. What I have to offer is just not enough. And then I have moments where I face rejection, and that just reinforces it, doesn't it? Yeah. All that I have to give, all that I have to bring into this world, and shame will tell me, that's just not enough. Shame is that feeling that I'm just the sum total of my disgraces. I'm just the sum total of my failures. And the worst thing is that shame can point to the things that I've done and the things that have been done to me to convince me of that lie. What happens after I start believing it? I mean, I hear it so much and I can't name it, I can't see it. What happens when I start believing it? I start walking according to it. I start living according to it. I start living like I'm not really enough. And you know what? God might call me to step out into new things. And am I going to step out now? No, because I know what I am. I'm just not enough for that. God may call me to step out into his will, and am I going to step out? No, because I know what I, I'm just not spiritual enough for that. Oh yeah, and Shane's going to tell me, you don't pray enough. You don't read your Bible enough. No, God's going to work with the more spiritual people. You're just not enough for this. And then God says, my child, I've got something for you here, and I'm already afraid to step out. Because Shane's already convinced me, I can't do Shame will convince me I'm not a good father, mother, sister, brother. And then when God calls me to step into my child's life, I already believe the lie. It's not going to matter anyways, is it? Because I'm just not enough. I'm just not good enough. Shame sells us a lie. It binds us. It weighs us down. And it affects how we live. And you know, the truth is that I don't want other people to see my shame. I don't. And, and so I hide that part of my life, right? I hide it away. I, I break off that part of my heart. And I'm going to go bury it over here. Okay, and I'm going to go close, it, close up that closet inside of my life where I push all of my mess into. We all have that closet at home, right? And then when I want to let people into my life, well, yeah, you can come in, but you're not going to get all of it. 
you're just going to get parts. The part that I'm okay with. And let's be real. There's a reason why we do that, right? There's a reason why we hide parts of ourselves. Because people aren't safe. <laughs> They're not. Hey, can I be honest for a second? Even in the church. Yes. Where, where we all mean well. Yes. And we are all trying to walk. Yes. According to Jesus' plan for us, we all want to live like that. And it's just because we're human. Right. Yes. And, and so believe me, I don't advocate letting everybody into every part of your life. That's right. But that's the thing, is that shame starts fragmenting us. I break off part of my life, and then I'm only bringing part of myself to my job. I break, up, break off another part of my life, and then I'm only bringing part of myself to, to my family. And next thing you know, I'm walking around in these great relationships, and they just don't feel whole. They, they just don't feel like, like I'm connecting. It's almost like there's something hollow inside of there because really what I'm carrying around is a fragmented heart. Because she convinced right. me that that part's not worth anything and that part's not worth anything and that part's not worth anything. And so I just keep breaking off parts of myself. And now I come into relationships with this fragmented heart. And I wonder why it's so hard to connect sometimes. Can I be honest? Even in church. Yes. Yes. We do it to protect ourselves. But here's the thing, that becomes our pattern. Because that's how we find safety from the things we don't want seen, from the mess. And you know what? We even do it in church. When we come to worship our God, and we hold our hands up and we sing, I surrender all. But are we really surrendering all? Oh God, you can come into my life, but there's one closet back there. Just don't touch that. Okay? God, you can come into my life, but you know what? Here's my heart. There are a few pieces missing, though. And just like with friends and family, when I'm only bringing part of myself to God, how long before I start feeling hollow there, too? Like I'm just not connecting. I know I'm not the only one who's ever felt this way. Start feeling like I'm just going to be a second class citizen in God's kingdom. Yeah. I remember going in and out of church feeling that. God will work with the, with the more faithful people. God will work with the people who pray more. But I am just not that. I'm just not enough. God can be our Heavenly Father. And we can still end up feeling so spiritually alone, can't we? God can be our first love. And we can still end up feeling like a spiritual widow, can't we? And this brings us to the passage in Isaiah 54. Because in this passage, God is speaking to Lady Zion. And the thing we have to understand about Lady Zion is that she, she's like a national identity. A symbol for the people. Like how we talk about Uncle Sam. You know, and yes. Uncle Sam represents sort of this, this government system. We, we talk about Lady Liberty, and, and she's a symbol for something in our society, and a whole bunch of people contribute to that. Lady Zion's the same thing. She's the community of the people of God. And she'd been humiliated. She was ashamed. She had done shameful things. She had shameful things done to her. 
She felt alone. Alone in this world. And hear what God tells her. Do not be afraid. Can I be honest? I am so afraid to open up some of those parts of my heart. Not just because I'm afraid of other people's seats. I'm afraid of having to face it. And there are times when, when I need people around me to help me do that. When I need a community who can stand with me and help give me the strength. Okay, I, I, I'm a big fan of two things that have helped me in my life. Counseling and therapy. I am serious of having someone who can walk beside you and help you face some things. I'm serious. God says, do not be afraid. Because let's be honest, when it comes to confronting things that we're ashamed of, there's fear there. Because yeah. I don't want other people to see my mess. <coughs> I don't even want to see my mess. <laughs> Do not be afraid. You will not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged. You will not suffer disgrace. For you will forget the shame of your youth. You see, that's one of the powers yeah. that shame has over us. It's something that happened so long ago, and yet it still hangs heavy on us. Yeah. God says, you know what? You can, you can walk in a way where that does not hang off of you anymore. You will forget the disgrace of your widow. But ladies, I she felt alone. She felt like a spiritual widow in this world. And why does God say this? For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. And he is called the God of this earth. Shame does not get to define you because you are already spoken for by yes. your creator. Shame does not get to shape you because your maker already holds you yes. inside of his hands. Right. You see, my friends, when shame starts working its deceptive talents into Lady Zion's hearts, when she starts feeling fragmented and alone in this world like a spiritual widow, God shows up. And he shows out, I'm your maker, I'm not going to forget you. Shame is just a lie and a deception that can lead into your presence. It does not get to define who you are. Amen. You see, my friends, when shame grabs a hold of my path, when it whispers those lies into my heart, when it sucks the joys out of my days, I need to hear the voice of the way, the truth, and the life. Declaring I breathe life into you once before. You better believe I'll do it again. When I've shuttered up the windows of my heart just because I want to keep people from seeing my mess. And I've closed all the blinds and all of the curtains. I just don't want people to see the pain or the failure, the shame. And you know what? My God will show up banging on the door. Yeah. Yes. I'm not asking you to let other people in every part of your life. But believe me, I, I, I need people to walk beside me when I face those difficult moments. Yes. And believe me, I'm probably not going to let everyone do that. That's right. Yes. That's right. But this morning, my friends, I'm not asking you to let everyone in. I'm asking you to let God in. Some things may feel broken in the heart, but that's okay. Because I hear that he's a healer. Yes, he is. Some things may feel messy inside of our hearts, but you know what? That's okay. 
because I hear that he's a miracle worker. And next time that I am tempted to believe that God doesn't want to work through me because I'm just not spiritual enough, because I just don't pray enough, because I just don't read my Bible enough, because I am just not enough, I need to remind myself that's shame speaking, that's not God. We started out by talking about how when we are freed from something, we are also freed for something else. Yes. And you see, I truly believe that God wants to free us from the lies that shame tells us about who we are to free us for something else in Him. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a famous passage that we recite a lot in Christianity from Romans, Romans chapter 8. It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. We know this passage this morning, church. I want to read the very next verse. Yes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. You know why shame can't define you? Because God has already declared who you are. Yes. You know why our lowest moments can't shape us? Yes. Because God has already said, this is who you are. Yes. You are going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's who you are inside of this world. Which means every day when we wake up and we walk out that door, we walk a little bit more like Jesus inside of this world. Yes. That means every day when we bring ourselves into our relationships with our friends and with our family, we speak a little bit more like Jesus inside of this world. Yes. And I don't know about you, but every day when I turn on the news, I think we could use a little bit more Jesus yes. inside of this world. Yes. God frees us from lies about who we are so that we can finally walk in the truth of who he has already declared us to be. You are here to walk, to talk, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That is your identity. And your low moments don't get a word. Your shameful moments don't get a word. They don't get a say. The lies of shame does not get to define us. We are free from shame. But we are freed for something so much bigger. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We started out by, by reflecting on what we wanted freedom from. And, and, and as we transition into a time of response, as, as we prepare to receive the Holy Communion, uh, a moment in which, in which we remember what Jesus did to buy us back, to redeem us. To define us. I want us to think about the other side of that coin. What is God freeing us for? The doors of the church are open, my friends. It's the gospel that lives and breathes in me. 
walk with the gospel. Yeah. I'm up because of the gospel. And therefore, I'm not ashamed of what the gospel has created in me. Somebody ought to believe that right now, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was chosen by the gospel. I'm not ashamed. I was set free by the gospel. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. I've been blessed by the gospel. <laughs> I've been delivered by the gospel. <laughs> I was elevated by the gospel. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. Look at somebody and say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's formed to me, it shaped me, it molded me, it continues to make me. I'm not ashamed of what the gospel is doing to me. Uh, I'm not ashamed. Matter of fact, there's somebody in here right now. There's some things that have been growing in your mind in the very essence of who you are. And here's what I say you ought to do. You ought to declare today that I'm giving those things an eviction notice because they don't fit who I am. You've got to go because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed. Because he forgave me. Yes. He washed me. Yes. He cleansed me. Yes. Uh, he made me new again. Yes. Uh, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I am who God says I am. Oh, somebody needs to receive that. I am who God says I am. Come on, say it again. I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. I'm not ashamed. 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 No more shame. 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 I'm not ashamed. I am who God says I am. Declare it. Declare it. Declare it. Don't you walk out of here the same way you came in. Declare it. There's an eviction notice to shame right now. There's an eviction notice. You gotta go. You gotta go because I'm not ashamed of who God has created in me. I'm alright with me. I'm alright. I'm alright. If God is alright with me, I'm alright. I'm alright. I'm alright. Right. Somebody need to you need to tell yourself, I'm all right with you. Go to the church. If you need, we invite you to come. Come on. If you need, it's your opportunity to come and experience what God has to offer you. I couldn't seem to call us. Hi, my name is Nicholas Wurst. I'm the executive minister here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. I just want to say thank you for listening. You can learn more about our church online at onefellowshipumc.org. And you can like us on Facebook to stay up to date with all the latest events in our community. 
please feel free to share this message and others online so that more people can learn about what God is doing here at One Fellowship. Thank you, and God bless.